You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Hi, Julia. Hi. Hi, Wolfpack. How's it going, everybody? Hi, Ryan Kelly. <laughs> We're going to talk about you some yeah. and your, your character. This, uh, is, this was a good Parish episode. Yes, it was. That's it. That was all. That was the all, all of the goodness of this episode. I'm kidding. It was actually totally average. <laughs> Which, for season five, is like two thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if this is... This is like kind of the, like if we get a really good one, that's crazy. But like this is what I would hope the standard is. And the fact that it isn't is like, ugh, guys, what a schlog. You know, my friend Sam um, is watching <laughs> Teen Wolf for the first time. And he's been like just absolutely blowing through it. His his girlfriend and, and one of my best friends convinced him to watch. And uh, he is going to get to season five soon. And I was like, you can skip it. And he was like, no, no, I'm in it for the long haul. And I was like. Yeah, but you like to complain a lot, and <laughs> I already know what's wrong with season five, so I don't really want that to be my problem. <laughs> yeah, the stipulation is you can watch it, you just cannot complain to me. Or you have to listen to the podcast, Sam. Sam. Um, he will probably eventually listen and be like, oh, I got a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like when I was watching it the first time, um, I would have wanted to know what happened during season five, but like, uh, in hindsight, I certainly did not have to watch it i could have written you like a summary actually no i couldn't because we know that i have no idea what happened in this season me neither um how is massachusetts lovely we went whale watching that's like very fun it was super fun we saw um a finback whale which is the second largest animal on the planet huge I have no conception of how big whales are like that really like i do not understand how big a blue whale is um it is very difficult to see in the water. Um, but because like, okay, so first of all, I learned two cool science, a cool science thing, Mm -hmm. which is there's such a thing as being positively buoyant and negatively buoyant. And a fin whale is, uh, negatively buoyant. So it doesn't have to work very hard to sink to the bottom. So it doesn't flip its tail out of the water. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can see it when it breathes, you can see like from its blowhole to its like dorsal fin. It's so long. It takes such a long time for it to like, go back under the water. It's so, it's hard to tell like just how big they are, but it's like crazy. Um, and we also saw a humpback whale named pinball. Oh yeah. I feel like, uh, marine biology is one of those like alternate to like dragonology type of things you get into as a kid. Like there's always those kids who are like so into like marine you. Me. Yeah. Me. Um, my, uh, my little sister will remember this also is that we had this book about, um, a famous sea otter named Foki. And, uh, because my grandmother lives in California and he lives in California. I'm sure he's dead now. He's an otter. Um, <laughs> sorry, RIP Foki. Um, but we were obsessed <laughs> with that book and I was very convinced for a really long time that I like wanted to study otters. And I do think that otters are like the gateway drug to marine biology they are so cute yeah like they are just so cute they hold hands when they sleep so they don't float away from each other i, I can't deal it's, it's too yeah. much um, yeah but yeah on on the east coast you brought me a very special present i sure did very significant to this podcast and actually we mentioned it in the last episode julia what did you bring me from massachusetts i brought from a thrift store in boston a dvd copy of what's your number oh I feel like we're coming full circle, you know? Yeah. Because when we started this podcast, you had never seen it. No. It feels like a podcast inside joke now. I wonder how many people have watched What's Your Number because of us and been like, that was a totally average, (laughs) bad rom-com. Which, yeah, exactly. What's wrong with you guys? (laughs) But it's um, part of a very special universe, what we like to call the Boston Cinematic Universe, Uh of all the movies that take place in Boston. And I don't know. It just feels like it fits in. Not at all with no, any of those no, movies, it's but actually, we like it. Yeah. <laughs> we do. It's, you know, long, long, long appreciated movie here on the Teen Wolf Real Podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And we're ready to rock and roll. But before we get into our podcast, we do have a review to read. Julia, yes. do you want to cue it up? I, I do. I've got it right here. Cool. Um, this comes from Katie Kahn. Five stars. So much fun. And she says, I'm so glad I found this. Only listened to one episode so far, but it's such a good time. And I was enjoying it so much. I just sat there and listened without doing anything in the meantime, which I never do. Aw. I also sweet. never sit and just listen to podcasts. So, yeah. wow. Thank you. I know a lot of people listen to podcasts on their commute, but I actually feel like I'm too, like, 
stagnant on my commute. Like, I, I, I have to be doing stuff with my hands to get really into a podcast. I yeah. often cook while I'm listening to a cop- podcast. But that is incredibly flattering. Um, I wonder what episode it was. One of the good ones. I hope, Did you start I hope with the first so. one? Um, but I, I love hearing that. And, guys, as a reminder, uh, if you guys leave us a review on iTunes and you leave us five stars, we will read it out loud and give you guys a shout-out. Um, and it really helps us find new listeners for our podcast, which we're always looking to expand the wolf pack, you know? Hell yeah. I'm going to plug the other things while we're at it. If you want to buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. We put all, all of our content out for free. So if you want to give us some money, that is awesome. You do not have to again. We are proud to do things for free, but we also deeply appreciate you. Also, if you go to Redbubble or any of the links in our bios, you guys can buy our stickers. They're very fun. They're very fun. We have one that says uh, Dylan O'Brien is the Teen Wolf King. Because you know what? He is. It's true. It's just a true statement. Yep. Yeah. We've got some of their logos and other Teen Wolfy things. So yes, check those out. Um, now let's get into it. We are talking about season five, episode 17, A Credible Threat. Yes. It was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Tim Andrew. Dream team. Dream team. This felt like a really big Tim Andrew episode, especially in the fight scenes. I always feel like extended fight scenes are like kind of his bread and butter. Mm-hmm. I really liked the way that it looked. I really liked um, the scenes with Parrish and Lydia and Chris and Gerard in their little green bunker. I don't know. I thought that was cool. I thought, I thought was the lighting was really interesting. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Now we have to do the 60 second recap. Are you ready? Cause you're going first. You know, um, I actually have a couple of lines open where I, um, like I stopped taking notes, um, because I didn't have to anymore cause the episode was over. So maybe because it's, condensed i will make it but i have not made it in the last (laughs) yeah however i I cannot remember last time i got through an episode in one go i know what's happened you know it's just like maybe season two i think i had one in season three yeah Yeah. i mean but this is a show where everything happens so So much much. (laughs) actually one of sam's critiques of teen wolf he's like why can't they just do anything without anything happening? And I'm like, that is a great question. Like they can never just like do homework, you know? No, I feel like that is a question we ask time and time again here at the Rewolf. Yes. Yeah. You're here at Teen Wolf Rewolf headquarters. <laughs> All right. Well, here at Teen Wolf Rewolf headquarters, you have a minute on the clock. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Go. Okay. So Parrish has been turning into the hellhound every night and he's asked Chris to tell him to find out what they're do- what he's doing. And Scott and Styles and Liam are helping. Everybody meets up at the high school and they find a bunch of bodies, like so many of them. Brayden is protecting Malia from the Desert Wolf. There's some scary sexy times and they're like, oh my God, there's a big lacrosse game tomorrow. Corey is leaving and he shows Mason his burns because he's like, oh, this is what happens in Beacon Hills. And Mason figures out that the direct doctors are controlling the beast through like broadcast frequencies and they're like, oh, well, he'll be at the game because there's all these uh, TV vans um everybody's plotting in the library about how to stop the game lydia finds Parrish badly wounded in the stacks and then takes him to chris and gerard the sheriff can't cancel the game so scott and styles go to try and find coach at rehab Parrish goes to gerard and chris and they're like you have to talk to the beast and they lock him um in a little ice chamber like they did with the werewolves scott's um fully healed when his pack is reunited which is cute and then they have a plan but scott coach won't forfeit the game and so they do like oh plan two and they're uh playing kira is like too aggressive lydia um talks to the hellhound like oh Parrish is dead um they like trick kira into getting injected brett and his sister Lori are helping um out as well Malia gets grabbed by her mom and they have this little confrontation oh I was so I felt really good about it you were doing really well you were doing really well except for when you said Jordan talks to Parrish sure yeah that's I guess that's not real (laughs) (laughs) um you know the hellhound Cerberus yes whatever any of the other names that he threw out there were but uh let's see if you can fare any better um, I'm sh- I actually feel like I have faith in you. Whoa. I'm just going to proclaim that right now. I think you can do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, no pressure. That was a lot of pressure for somebody who is <laughs> never good at this. So. Okay. Well, let, let's couch it in more of like a rah, rah, go team. You can do it. Okay. So like a cheerleader. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's the vibe. Um, oh my gosh. Beacon Hills cheerleading costumes for Halloween next year. Maroon and white. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Possible. We'll put that in the list of running list of Halloween co- costumes I keep year round. That's a very smart thing to do because come Halloween, I'm always like, mm, mm. I've never watched a TV show in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? No. Okay. So you have a minute on the clock starting right now. 
So Paris has Chris follow him and they go to the school and Liam and Styles and Scott are there and they find a pile of bodies and then Paris is like, it's a trap. And then uh, Scott and... Um, uh, oh God! <laughs> the pack meets in the library to debrief after Kira kind of has a freaky fox find out. Uh, Lydia finds Parrish in the library and takes him to Argent and uh, Chris so they can try to put him in a cryo tube to talk to his alter ego. The pack goes through this plan of sabotage and they get the coach out of rehab so that he can uh, for the game and he doesn't so they have to play. And then Corey and Mason are looking for everybody's shoes in the bus to try to find out who the uh, beast is. And then Kira goes crazy and then she fights with Lori and then Scott hears the girl girl fighting happening and she fights with Scott and Scott can finally wake her up out of her stupor um but while malia is trying to cut the cords on the news vans her mom shows up and prevents her from doing so so liam and styles have to extend the game and they push it into overtime and then right as the overtime starts the beast shows up and liam attacks him and then he runs through the school with three seconds to spare hell yes i actually was really worried because i got really tripped up at the beginning and i know we didn't get everything okay i know we didn't get everything but the bones are there bananas Maybe all I needed was a little encouragement oh. all along. But also, I will say this episode is incredibly uncomplicated. Um, it is not very character-driven at all. It's very plot-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That means it's a little less complicado yes. for us. Um, but still complicated in its own special way, which is why we are talking about this episode through the theme of chaos. Chaos, if you Chouse. will. <laughs> Another podcast inside joke um, that I, maybe only we remember. Uh, uh, well, now I'm trying to think if we just always say chaos like externally. Have we talked maybe. about chouse? No, I think the first time we did it, you were like, I don't know what it is, but I always we read it as chaos. It's what yeah. it looks like. Sorry. Chaos. Chaos. But now I can't read it any other way. So Yeah. Okay. Well, so then let's just get it out there. This theme is chaos. Um lot is a lot is happening it's definitely one of the episodes where um for everything that every one thing that goes right two things go wrong mm-hmm. um a teen wolf classic if you will nothing can ever work out for these kiddos yeah they have a plan a b c d and they are eventually at plan like h yeah at the end of this yeah which at least they're self-aware about how rarely their plans actually come to fruition mm-hmm. so it's good uh where would you like to start in this particular episode um, I kind of want to talk about, um, let's see, Gerard. Do you want to talk about Gerard and Chris and Lydia and Parrish? Uh, yes. Because uh, I thought that was the most interesting part of the episode. Yes, by far and away the most interesting part of the episode. It was. I think part of that is because it's the only character-driven part of the episode. Mm-hmm. And we're digging into a character who we like. I, I, you know, we've heard a little bit of pushback on... Twitter saying that we like kind of over criticize Parrish. And I think we've made it pretty clear. Like our issue is not with Parrish because we think that he's a really interesting character. It's with the fact that they set up a relationship between a like a 17 year old and a 24 year old without the nuance of being like, this is problematic. They just sort of romanticize it, which I I'm all for having that relationship dynamic. If you're going to explore it critically and artistically in an interesting way, but they didn't. Yeah. And I also feel like the problem here is that a lot of folks, and I've even heard this on on Twitter or just like other teen wolf people talking about it. Um, just because Lydia is 18 doesn't make it okay. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's the 18. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's the justification for a lot of people is that she is quote unquote, legal a term that i hate um she's still in my she's, she's in high school she's a high schooler and i think that's why it's really hard for me to be like oh she's 18 because they like start their senior year in this season yeah like you don't start so your senior there's so few people who are actually 18 by the time you leave your senior year of high school mm-hmm. um yeah but anyway again my problems are not with parish because i think that everything about this is so compelling and i think that it's really interesting to see parish and sort of see him as somebody who has like a life put together, you know, he like is a functions as a person in society, but there is this other part of him that reigns chaos and was actually in fact born from a moment of extreme chaos. Yeah. And it's really interesting to juxtapose him against the werewolves, which, or even Kira a little bit, but like the werewolves are the only creatures that we actually see, um, shifting into something else, but that is like critically a part of them. Um, it's not Scott and werewolf Scott. It's just that Scott's a werewolf, Mm -hmm. but with Parrish, as we learn in this episode, it's not 
that Parrish is a hellhound. It is that he is a host. Yeah. For a hellhound. And and not only, like, you know, the, the hellhound says, like, Jordan Parrish is dead, which I think is really interesting. Um, but clearly there is enough of Parrish left to exist as Parrish outside of the hellhound. So not only is he a host for the hellhound, it is one, like, host sharing two souls. Mm-hmm. And inherently that breeds chaos because there's, like, unless you find symbiosis, which is sort of the goal of this episode, they will always be at odds. Yeah. Um, and we see that, you know, I think it's really, I think that whole beginning sequence where he's like, Chris, you have to follow me to like, you know, I think it's really interesting one that, that he asked Chris to be the one to do it. Well, it makes sense because they, uh, Chris and Gerard seem to be the people who, uh, know the most about hellhounds. And I'm sure that Parrish has gotten a warning from everybody else in the pack. That's like, mm, Gerard's not the one to trust, but Chris is the guy. Yeah. Chris is the dude. Um, but it's, it's really interesting, especially I think in that regard, because when you sort of think of the Argents, you think of order. Yeah. And then you, you know, the, you sort of assign the character that reflects order with the character that is like bursting with chaos. Um, and then Lydia is a little bit along for the ride on this, but what I think is so interesting about Lydia is that she, because she has a foot in both worlds, she does seem to be the uniting, like the linking factor between what the Argents know and what you know, Parrish has gone through. Yeah. And we, we've talked about this a lot in discussing their relationship, but it's so nice to be able to see this, um, in action when she's talking to the hellhound because she's been very active in trying to help Parrish figure out what he is and the knowledge that she's like the only person who can really break through to the hellhound, um, is great. It's a very useful tool and it's like symbolizes I think their bond as harbingers of death um and Lydia I I think has always been the kind of person who was able to bring order to chaos Mm -hmm. um and it's nice to see her fulfilling that role yeah especially since she's been so like shelved in this season yeah like it's really frustrating because like you know uh (laughs) Sam just watched the episode where they kiss when she like calms styles down mm-hmm. from his panic attack, which we know is not is fake is fake, but like she has always brought an element of calm. You know, she's the one who goes out with Allison in the woods when Allison feels like she is losing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for her to be that person again, felt really fulfilling as an audience member. And also like there are sometimes episodes of Teen Wolf that are ca- just chaotic and it's nice to see the balance yeah and also because like Lydia as a banshee when we say that she uh hasn't had a lot of agency or screen time at all in this season but trying to learn her banshee powers has been really difficult for her because she's so disconnected from them and I think you know especially with the the hole in her brain like it's just chaos Mm -hmm. inside her mind and she has really finally gotten a grip on like the that chaos um and been able to marry like her sensibilities as Lydia with her being a banshee yes and you know I think that Lydia is also one of those people who is like when things are going wrong in my life I have to organize the lives of the people around me yep yeah and you see that um that is her chaos response and it's it's well executed in this episode yeah I think everything about that whole sequence is so interesting. Like, I think that the sort of cryo tube thing is a little bit like, okay, we're getting a little bit too Doctor Who here, but. Well, I appreciated that they weren't, that they didn't go the ice bath route because we've seen it multiple times. Yeah. I, well, I appreciate that the ice bath thing had been introduced in prior seasons so that we're getting a similar effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it ever <laughs> is as good as when Isaac goes in the ice bath the first time. No, that's very effective. Um, yeah, I wish that we had been able to talk a little bit more or that we've been able to hear a little bit more about why it's so crucial for the hellhound and parish to be able to function as one. Um, or why they're not, you know, it yeah. feels a little basic. Um, um, especially because, um, like we've definitely seen, uh, initially the hellhound ferrying creatures of the supernatural, but towards like in his dreams Mm -hmm. he's surrounded by hundreds of bodies some of those have to be like mortals the idea of parish as a hellhound is that he's a protector Mm -hmm. um 
it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense the way that um, the hellhound speaks with such disdain for Parrish as a human. Well, I think it, like, now the, the hellhound's goal is purely to defeat the beast, you mm-hmm. know? Like, whatever was going on previous was, is is just not the, the primary function. <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, you know, what's the, what I think was really interesting about the whole hellhound thing is it's sort of like a dark phoenix story. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's not one person being reborn from their own ashes. It's one creature taking the place through somebody else's ashes, mm-hmm. which is kind of uncanny, you know, yeah. little mm-hmm. changeling. Um, but I think that that was, that was interesting. And, and it's funny because while that is not sort of the, the major aspects of chaos in the show plot wise, definitely like where chaos reigns in the emotional sense. And, uh, yeah, I liked that part of the episode. I did very much where, who, where are we going? Who are we talking about next? Well, I think we have to talk about the lacrosse game in general, because that takes up the majority of the episode. Yes. So, I can't believe there was a whole lacrosse game episode and lacrosse was what I found boring. It's usually so fun. And it was like action packed and stuff, but because there was so little character work happening, I was a little bit like, yeah, I'm just watching them play lacrosse. Well, yeah, there's, there's such a, a attention and an anticipation of uh, what might happen if the beast is allowed to materialize um, that like they're all just frantically trying to give each other space to carry out their individual parts of the plan, which doesn't have anything to do with them as people. Like it, it says a lot about the pack. Um, but it's just about the game and stopping a mass murder. Yeah. So let's break into like the individual tasks. So like we have Corey and Mason looking for shoes that Mason is obviously wearing. Okay, but also when we were watching this, you were like, they don't, they have one pair of shoes. Yeah. Like, it seems like such a weird. I mean, I sort of have like the shoes I switch off on like every other day, but I'm still changing which shoes I'm wearing. Yeah. I wear my shoes to death, but it's not like an everyday occurrence. Yeah. Um, yeah. They are kind of separated from the chaos, um, because they're stuck, not stuck, but they're in the bus going through 25, uh, gym bags. I guess. I mean, yeah, separate totally, but we kind of have already seen um, an introduction to uh, sort of an internal issue with Corey, who at the beginning of this episode tells Mason he's leaving. He can't be in Beacon Hills anymore. And I don't know. I, it feels to me like he has a pretty good reason. He takes off his shirt and he shows Mason that his entire, like half of his body is recovering from a, a burn Mm-hmm. from when he when he had to fight Parrish, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's healing, but it's really slow, and he, uh, I think, is really fed up. And also, Corey has been through a lot of traumatic, um, like, physical shit in this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes perfect sense to me that he is very much over. Yeah. I think it, it's about, like, denying chaos access to him. Um, yeah, you just remove yourself from the situation. I will say the whole Corey being burned and it taking a really long time to heal thing and the conversation about how when Peter was an alpha, it took like, uh, you know, six years of full moons for him to recover from the burn. Pretty good continuity for a show that generally shits on <laughs> continuity. So that was interesting. Yeah. Well, I also kind of liked that because um, we Theo wasn't in this episode at all. Um, and Hayden towards the end, and we'll talk about this in it later, but she's like, I'm, I'm all in. I'm with the McCall pack. Scott later says that, you know, he has, was healed when his pack came back together and the chimera pack is fractured. Disintegrating. Um, it is not healthy or together. And it's almost kind of like a manufactured pack, um, in, like a really inorganic way. And so to have Corey like really struggling to recover from that because he's alone, Mm -hmm. I think is good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, it's funny. I just sort of was like, you know, the emotional chaos happens in, you know, the other half of this episode, but we do see it with Corey. And we also see that he, I think when he steps away from Mason on that bus, I think he realizes, I think he knows then or suspects that it's Mason. Mason. Yeah. Interesting. Because I don't really understand what else inspired that, you know? I think I may have missed that because I was writing or something. He says something like, I'm fine, it's fine, and they leave. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, you know, I think what that part of that might have been is that he grabs Mason's hand 
so that whoever's walking on the bus can't see them mm-hmm. and turns them invisible. So that, that must be some sort of like supernatural connection between the two of them then. Yeah. That would make t- a lot of sense to me. Yeah. That he knows. Yeah. Or I don't think he knows specifically, but like as a suspicion. Um, well, that there's at least something not quite right. Yeah. And I know that the big reason as to why they like, they're trying, they're not looking in the right places is because they're looking for a genetic chimera and like, they don't know any, they don't have any reason to think that Mason is one. Mm -hmm. Um, it is weird to me that nobody after the Canama (laughs) that they're not like, we should maybe check in on everyone we know. Right. Yeah. Especially, uh, after the Canama, after, um, the the after styles killing Donovan, yeah. Like you'd think that line of communication needs to be so much more open than it is. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I, I feel like maybe we talked about this already, but Mason has very quickly been folded into the McCall pack and he has such confidence in Scott. Um, he's very much like part of it and in it. So he's not considered to be an outsider who might need to be considered, which like guys, everybody's done bad things yeah. in your pack. So get it together. Maybe. Uh, you know what? This is why I appreciate Malia. We're all evil. <laughs> We're all evil and she is going to kill her mother. Good. Yeah. Let's talk about Malia. She, her, like, the desert wolf, Corinne, I think her name is, um, inherently an, an agent of chaos. Like, so other from the bigger picture that her being there completely throws Malia off. Actually, physically throws her off of a yes. van. <laughs> I I think that Malia is struggling through some like mental chaos at the moment because she does feel like she has a responsibility to Scott, the pack. And also we've seen her growing ever since she left the woods, a sense of compassion for other human beings, even though it's really hard for her. Yeah. I mean, Corinne even like mm-hmm. sees styles after he gets kicked in the face um, by, I don't even remember what the character's name is. I think is. her name is Sydney. Sydney. I was like, yeah, he gets kicked in the face by Sydney by when he's trying to check her shoes. Yeah. Um, and she's like, oh, it's him. And styles is obviously looking as stupid as possible because that, you know, is the teen wolf way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that like, I think Malia is basically, I actually think this is, is a, a mental um, uh, regathering. I don't actually think it's that chaotic. I think she is now decided that her killing her mother and her affection for her friends do not like um, counteract each other. So, yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> I think that Malia is way more accepting of her own complications as a human being than other people. I think what frustrates her the most, and I think that like chaos inherently breeds frustration, is that she is watching chaos happen around her. And she knows that there is going to be something really bad that happens if she can't complete this one task. And her mom shows up like mommy issue central completely <laughs> ruins the one, literally the one thing that she's supposed to do. It would it, ostensibly an easy thing. And that's so much more frustrating. Yeah. And I think that is, um, kind of one of the things when you see, um, creatures and people in media that are, pure chaos is that they don't care about anything really but themselves. Um, and all that Corinne cares about is getting her power back. Um, slash also maybe getting Malia on her side because she's, I think starting to see that Malia's a tough cookie. Well, I think to get her power back, she has to kill Malia. So I don't think there's a really winning there. Yeah. Um, but she started, I don't know, I feel like there's a, a small amount of grudging, um, not respect, but acknowledgement in I think that interaction. A, I think she even says something like, wow, you really are my daughter. I think yeah. she thinks that that apple fell closer to the tree than it did, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, because, well, and we've talked before about Malia's issues of not being either of her parents. Um, and I, I think you're right in saying that she has a sort of clarity about who she is and what she needs to accomplish and that she can, she can have it all. Well, Teen Wolf's really interesting conversation of nature versus nurture here is that like two absolute psychopaths can breed someone who is only half of one. Yeah. She, she trains herself to care and that's really all we can ask. And I do think she does. 
Oh, I, I think, care. I, yeah, I think yeah. that Malia feels more deeply than a lot of the people in the show because she's experiencing these emotions so raw. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't really have a filter for any of them yet. She doesn't have, really have a compartmentalization um, like factor that everybody else can sort of just sort things in their brain. And I think that that's what makes her so compelling and funny. <laughs> well, we've also seen a lot of like pretty much everybody in the McCall pack has had a moment in the last couple of seasons where they have said, I can't deal with finding another dead body. I can't deal with another failure. I am so overwhelmed by, um, all of the death that we have to face. And Malia is one of the ones who seems relatively unaffected by that up until now, she's kind of having her reckoning of like, if I don't participate in this, there is going to be so much death, so much chaos, so much evil. Well, I think she's also finally over like, yeah, death happens to everybody. You know, death Mm -hmm. is inevitable because she's spent all this time mourning her family. Yeah. Um, and now she no longer blames herself for that death and has a re as an actual person to start blaming. So I, it, I think it shifts the way that she thinks about like the fragility of life and death. So nice when there's a person to blame. I know. Ugh. So convenient. Everyone needs a no-good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing great-great-grandfather. <laughs> we should do Holes as a bonus app. We, we should. I love Holes. I don't I, know anybody who doesn't, actually. You know, I never had to read the book for school, and so I think that that like, deep, deep affection for Holes kind of passed me by, but I think it's a good movie. Oh, I, I like the book it. is so good. I just never had to read it you know how like your elementary school has like local authors who come to chit chat yes my friend Anna Marie grew up in Texas and that guy was Lewis Satcher for her that's so cool yeah that's so neat jealous let me know how you guys feel about holes we'll we'll, we'll put out bonus ep feelers soon yeah um let's move on uh to talk about Styles and Liam who are <laughs> an unlikely <laughs> pair in this episode and um, are experiencing the more physical ramifications of the chaos because they are left in the lacrosse field and really have nowhere else to go because they have to keep this game going to give Malia enough time to short circuit the um, TV events. TV yes. Although I'm not entirely sure. I have a question. Yeah. Why the hell does that matter? Um, because it's like some sort of frequency, like it's a frequency, but I know, I know. But like at any point, the vans, like, like, wouldn't you want the game to be over faster? Wouldn't you, you would want the game to be over faster. You could just take, you just, you could just have Kira take out the electrical grid. We know she knows how to do that. Yeah. Or or even if she doesn't quite know how to do it, there's a chance she'd do it on accident. Yeah. Uh, so (laughs) I I, I, just, it really, that really didn't make sense to me at all. It is a ridiculous plot device. I appreciate that we have the return of coach Bobby Finstock. Um, and chaos incarnate, uh, truly. Um, yeah, he, he's great, but, um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And like, I feel as though in previous um, seasons, Brett has been kind of a voice of reason or at least an outside perspective. And he just kind of goes along with their plan to prolong the game. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, nobody's like, yeah, maybe we should just get all of these people away from the field. And maybe there is a maybe something ended up on the editing room floor of how they're explaining how actually all of the broadcasts are happening after the game. And so they're waiting. I doubt that. Yeah, I, you're right. That's giving some I really doubt really that. giving Teen Wolf a benefit of the doubt they don't deserve. Um, maybe there's an explanation somewhere. Maybe we missed the explanation. There's a chance. I doubt it. Okay, um, cool. I also doubt it. I, doubt <laughs> I actually it. think we're really good at watching this show. <laughs> Hair flip. Um, I, I actually think, and maybe this is because they have done two, not heist episodes, in a row but they've done two like everybody has a a plan and a job and a role to play in this plan that we're doing um they didn't spend as much time on it so perhaps we do not have the well i'm just thinking about mm -hmm. that like it it, is is a fine fight scene the fight the girl fight scene um but they spent so much time on that where i'm like we could have put like a 30 second clip explaining slightly more about this plan and I would have been a okay. Um, well, they are just trying, they are, I think this comes down to the problem of this being a plot episode rather than a character episode. They are trying to fit in Kira's 
complications with the kitsune, which is interesting because we have previously seen her actually being able to figure that out at Eichenhaus. And this is kind of a reversal of um, the progress that she's making. And I, I get why they want to do that for her character arc, but I, I don't understand why it needed to happen in this episode necessarily, or why the entire episode needed to be a lacrosse game. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. Um, but Styles and Liam. Yeah, I was going to be like, who are we talking about? Okay, so Styles and Liam. Um, Liam is such a little hero in this episode because he, like, well, we kind of have left behind the fact that Liam was supposed to be like this wunderkind of like absolute. He's very good at lacrosse. Yeah, yeah. And they're like doing really badly, which of course they would start doing way worse after Kira and Scott leave the field because mm-hmm. um, Styles can't play lacrosse and Danny's not on the team anymore. <laughs> Yeah. I miss you, Danny. Same Z's. Yeah. Also, apparently they have a terrible goalie who we don't, I assume it's Greenberg. Yeah. Um, well, it's not Danny because Danny used to be the, it was the old goalie. Yeah. So their goalie sucks. And, um, I, I <laughs> guess. Spinoff series of Danny and Jackson. Where are they? Yes. <laughs> London. Well, Jackson's in London with Ethan. Ethan. Yeah. Yeah, Ethan. So it would be a really funny, one. that would be really funny because Danny, it would be like a weird love triangle. Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Liam, it's funny because um, I really think that in that plan, if you're going to be doing lacrosse, um, I think it might have come up eventually that like Liam is super good at lacrosse, but he seems to be kind of pushed uh, to the edges while Scott and Brett like call the shots. Yeah, and you know what's funny is, like, we didn't see enough. We saw, like, one episode of Liam playing lacrosse when he first gets turned, and, like, it's kind of a big deal in the way that it was when Scott first got turned. But, like, after that, it's no longer an issue of having to, like, control your powers on the field. But it does seem that he doesn't just doesn't use them, which is weird. Ever. Yeah. He could be super... Re- reflexes. Scott, Scott said a more set a moratorium on on werewolfisms on the field. Well, it's like if you are already that good at lacrosse, how much better could being a werewolf make you? I guess so. at lacrosse. But anyway, like in the midst of all of this chaos, with nothing else left to do, Scott and and not Scott, and Scott Styles and Liam are just like we just have to play lacrosse. Like the world is ending both on that field and around them, and their only choice is just to keep playing. And the fact that Liam is like I got this, and then scores five <laughs> goals is like unrealistic but like very cute and interesting to see how like even though Liam is somebody who is a creator of chaos when chaos is happening around him if with a goal in mind he's able to just accomplish it which is incredibly impressive and also shows a serious maturing of his character yeah Styles is just kind of fucking around doing like dumb Styles comedic shit which is fine because you know you love it but like this not didn't have much to do with it yeah I think um when we first started talking about them you're like oh the unlikely pair of Styles and Liam but I think they're a little bit more alike than perhaps we want to admit um because you know Liam's whole I I got it I got it let me like take charge on the field um because I know what I'm doing and I can I have a very special set of skills. Like he has that kind of confidence that styles has in his ability to, um, both fix and cause problems yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's impressive. Uh, and especially, especially with everything that is happening around them, that Liam is able to, um, keep from shifting, uh, until the very end when the beast shows up. Very impressive. Yeah. Good job, young man. Uh, we kind of skipped out that thing at the beginning of the season where he was still having trouble with his shift. Yeah, I think that they just decided they didn't care. Um, or that they got it out of the way with him trying to kill Scott in the library. But like that doesn't mean that he doesn't still have the anger ish. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and get mad about it. Let's talk about Scott and Kira. <laughs> Scott and Kira are probably the, their plot, where Kira's especially, is probably the most obvious, obvious example of chaos in this episode. She's completely out of control. Yeah, um, and I actually, now that we were talking having just talked about Liam's um, control issues uh, on the field, I find it very interesting that at no point did anybody in the pack think to themselves, Kira has this um, uncontrollable Fox spirit inside of her. Perhaps getting her to play an uber competitive physical sport is just not great. And maybe we should test it out. Yeah. Like they did with Scott and Liam. I think it's a good parallel to like what Scott went through, but like nobody, it feels really weird that like this was like the most pressing thing of like four episodes ago. And we're all just like, 
we can ignore that for right now. Yeah. I, the whole thing with like the skinwalkers and seeing them really making an effort to help Kira control her powers. And then it just goes completely in the other direction is like, I don't understand what they're trying to say to me, um, about Kira's inner turmoil. Like has the chaos, um, been at least a little bit resolved Mm -hmm. or as in this episode, is it just running completely unchecked? Yeah. I guess just running completely unchecked. I guess. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting that they, I thought it was a really interesting choice to pair her with a stranger for this fight. Lori is around, but like not friends with Kira by any means. Um, and I thought that that was an interesting way to be like, it, it takes away her sense of compassion for people when the Fox takes over. Mm -hmm. Um, also like, I guess a girl power moment. What do you think about that? Um, I, I, don't really know. It seems kind of out of left field. Lori um, starts talking to Kira in Japanese, which makes sense because she is part of Satomi's pack. Um, you know, if we want to think that Satomi's been teaching everybody Japanese, I don't know. Um, Probably pick up a little. I guess. Um, I I liked the fight scene. I actually thought it was pretty well choreographed. Um, and I, I like seeing that aspect of Kira. It just felt... I understand what they were trying to do um, because this is the plan where everything goes wrong Mm -hmm. for everybody. And the thing that would go wrong for Kira is that she has the Kitsune takeover. Um, It just, it felt like it dragged on really long. Um, And I don't know. I feel like there wasn't a clear enough delineation between like what it was that Scott did to get her to come back to earth. Um, Besides yelling her name. Yeah. He didn't even glow his eyes at her. No. It's like, you know, like in, uh, like, it's like the same Winter Soldier moment that happens in, like, everything where it's just sort of, like, being like, it's me, like, draws people out of their stupor. But, like, what people fail to remember is that in the comics of Winter Soldier, it takes getting blasted by the cosmic cube for him to remember. (laughs) Like, we need bigger sources of stimuli to make people, like, it can't just be romantic all the time. (laughs) Because I have no idea why like we know she loves scott we know she loves scott but at the point when she's completely overtaken by the by the kitsune she like how is she recognizing him she's not even speaking english at the beginning of this fight so pure chaos and i can't decide if it was a good choice artistically i thought the fight scene was fine but it was so long it felt like so much of this was dedicated to action and that's fine because this is an action show that's mm-hmm. cool. You know what? I, I feel like Teen Wolf hasn't been scary in forever. No. I want some, I want us to go back to horror. I think they think the Dread Doctors are scary. And by the way, we haven't seen them in episodes. No. No, we haven't. That's a good observation. Should we move into Q's and O's? Yeah, let's do it. Do you have any questions? I'm sure you have a lot. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just like, where is the outside world? At the beginning of this episode, they find an entire bus full of slaughtered people, some of whom may or may not be teenagers. There would be like a sundown curfew. There would be tanks in the streets. There would be the National Guard. Like, we, we, we they would be sweeping the woods looking for a cult. Um, yeah, we, uh, as Americans live in like one of the most highly militarized, uh, nations on earth. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I feel like I keep bringing this up and I sound like a broken record, but on Buffy, they do a really good job of explaining like why people just have fucking amnesia about kids dying at the school every Mm -hmm. day. It's just a part of life, but this is so new for Beacon Hills. And we talked about this in a previous episode where it's like 22 people have gone missing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not the same thing as the sacrifices, which was 13 spread out murders that could all be traced, that like all had serial killer uh, um, symptoms, signs. And, uh, signs, and that is why Raphael was there. Yeah, yeah. This is like, looks like a terror attack. Um, and especially because like the adults weren't really in this episode, but they represent um, such a strong tie to like, quote unquote, the real world mm-hmm. that it doesn't exist in Beacon Hills is so weird to me. Yeah. Well, it also like doesn't do any good job of setting up, like you said, rules about why that those, those things aren't contested by the civilians of Beacon Hills. Um, and if there were rules, I would happily accept them because that's the conceit of the show, but they're not giving me that. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, do you have any other questions? 
Um, is there only one hellhound? Uh, I think that's the implication. Yeah. Well, technically, isn't I guess there's only like like when he says like Cerebus, like isn't there only one in Greek mythology? There's like the three-headed dog okay. that is Hades' dog, but I think the concept of hellhounds is that there's more than one. I have no idea. Somebody who's really into Greek myth, let us know. But he, I think there's like hellhounds exist throughout many mythologies, and mm-hmm. I could also see it being like, no, there's actually just one that exists in all of them. He's really overworked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'd start a union, but it's just him. <laughs> there's no one to vote. Yeah. Uh, do you have any questions? No. <laughs> Why did I even ask? Well, it's just like at this point, like, why do, why am I, because I'll either ask questions I either get the answer to in the next episode or uh, will never get the answer to and be frustrated by. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have any observations? Yeah. Um, re questions. I thought it was very funny when Parrish was like, literally, how is it possible to resurrect the beast of Shevodan, make the teenager disappear? And he's like, actually, you know what? You're not going to answer me. And I was like, I feel that the self-awareness that teen <laughs> wolf writers had in that moment, because they were looking around and they're like, Oh shit. We don't know how to answer. We'll just, we'll have Parrish sweep it under the rug for us. Okay. Speaking of sweeping things under the rug, Lydia is just back at school. Like nothing happened. Yeah. She looked really good in this episode. She looked fantastic. Like Holland, it's, it's not like Holland Roden ever looks bad, but she was dressed like really casually for Lydia. Like she mm-hmm. was just in jeans and a cardigan, but her hair is longer and she just looks very like, it's honestly part like also like the most she's looked like a high school student in a while. I just really think that if you had a hole in your head, you'd maybe be in the hospital for a few days. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Although I could also see her mom being like, no more medical professionals. Like, I bet they turned her mom into like an anti-vaxxer. Yeah, I, um, I, I get that. I thought there were some really good laughs in this episode, um, especially with the appearance of Coach. Yeah. Oh my God. King of Chaos. The fact that he was like, I was never going to forfeit this game. Because then you you, you realize that the only reason he came back is because he was like, we don't forfeit. (laughs) And the fact that Scott and Styles couldn't see that coming from a mile away. Ridiculous. Yes. Um, I did. I have this in my observations when they're like, what's the charity for? And they're like, for cancer. And he's like, for or against. And they're like, against cancer. Obviously. (laughs) That was so funny. Oh my God. I think we talked about a lot of my observations. What are some of yours? Um, okay. I thought this was interesting that every time we see Jordan asleep, he's on his couch. Interesting. Well, I also think it's interesting because, uh, a lot of like traumatized people don't like sleeping in beds. Mm -hmm. And so like, like we never get into like the actual veterans trauma that he would probably experience, especially somebody who went through an IED explosion and somebody who like, was job was bomb diffusing. Parrish has a backstory that is so interesting that they were like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Like use your imagination. Yeah. But we always, we, we primarily see Parrish asleep when he's on a couch. And I thought that was interesting because it's not like he doesn't have a bed. Yeah. I, I liked that a lot. I, I liked most of the Parrish stuff. I liked all of the, um, kind of flashbacks when he's doing his little, um, cryo tank thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was cool to kind of connect a lot of, um, other teen wolf experiences to what he's going through. Well, I also, I loved, I sort of really loved the language the beast was using and not the beast, the hellhound was using talking about him where he was like, there is no Jordan parish. Like Mm -hmm. I am all that exists. And I think that there was a really good conversation about identity to be had there. Yeah. Um, not one that we have time for, (laughs) we'll get into maybe, (laughs) um, I'll I'll go on a Twitter rant. (laughs) Um, yeah, I really like that. I also really, um, liked the language used when they were talking, telling Parrish that like they're the, you know, the man of Jevadon is going to eventually overtake the teenager who's playing the beast right now. And they were like, the man wants to exist too. And I was like, yeah, he's evil, but there is like a sort of grander statement of like demanding to have your existence understood and like conceptualized and acknowledged. And that is kind of what's going on with Jordan and the beat and the hellhound right now, which mm-hmm. I, I think is really interesting because Parrish, the man wants to exist too. Yeah. Well, especially, um, and I think this would have been a great time to loop it in or, or to talk more about Demnatio Memoriae because, um, like the idea of forcibly being erased from history 
um, like they took you out of all the pictures and they cut you out of all the history books. Like you want to be, to exist. You want to be remembered. Um, I think that that's like profoundly human, whether you're evil or not. Um, and so I think that that could have been a really interesting discussion if they'd spent more time on that thing. Yeah. That was the last of my observations. Do you have pack stats for us? I sure do. We had 10 eyes. Damn. So many. Um, I might have been a little overzealous in my counting, but like everybody was everybody was like having a time. Scott, interestingly enough, did not glow his eyes once. Boo. Boo. Scott, get on board. Babe. Um, we had two claws. Um, Malia does her fun little ching moment when she's having when she's having a talk with her um mom. Oh, Brayden was in this episode like for five seconds. I know. I like seeing God, her. you know who I'd love to see right now? Brayden. Derek. Derek. Oh. We miss you, King. Yeah. Um, uh, three shirts. Jordan, Parrish is just naked the whole time, so I just counted it as three. Okay, yeah. Sure. Um, and then add Samsung. They were taking, like, they were crossing off the members of the Devonford. Pre- like, you didn't just have a list that you put on your phone? I don't know. Um, no sirens. I don't know if y'all can hear this, but I can hear it. Um, there are some loud cicadas outside of our apartment. Yeah, I was kind of hearing them, and now I'm not anymore, but, you know. Yeah, but no sirens. Yes. Those are my pack stats. We do not control the city noises. We do not control the bugs. <laughs> um, good pack stats. Uh, do you have an alpha of the week? Uh, my alpha of the week is Malia. Okay, explain. Um, because she fought through that like really tense moment with her mom, and I think she could have really easily been distracted, and she did what she needed to do, even if it was fruitless. Mm-hmm. Mine is Liam. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. He, he played such good lacrosse. He scored four goals, which is like a big deal. Yeah. I That's like crazy. Lacrosse is a really low scoring game. Yeah. A la soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Football. Um, yeah. Um, crazy. Bananas. Bananas. Um, I also think that you are right to give it to Malia. We'll split, we'll split between the two of them because Scott and Styles had like fuck nothing to do with this episode. I also think it's rare that we don't pick the same one. Yeah. So it's nice. Yeah. Um, I think that wraps it up. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this episode, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which, uh, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf and our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. Um, you, if you really liked this podcast, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, leave us five stars and a note and we will share it on the podcast. We are endlessly appreciative. Or you can buy us a coffee or buy us, buy one of our stickers, uh, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf, uh, redbubble.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. All of those links are in our bio, so you don't even have to do that kind of work. It's great. (laughs) Um, other than that, I have been Christian. And I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Ah, woo!